We'll title this tape, uh, Planet Earth About to be Recycled. Your only chance to evacuate is to leave with us. Planet Earth About to be Recycled. Your only chance to survive or evacuate is to leave with us. That is Marshall Applewhite, who was Heaven's Gate leader. 39 members uh, committed a mass suicide in 1997. Cult behavior, it's fascinating. The Charles Mansons of the world, Jim Jones, David Koresh, and even R. Kelly to some extent here. Why do people want to control others, and what makes people join a cult and do these kinds of things? And why can't they be extricated from these very, very bad relationships? Uh, with us to discuss this issue is Dr. Stephen Hassan, the foremost expert in this country on mind control, cults, and destructive organizations. He's the founder of the Freedom of Mind Resource Center, and he's written several books, including uh, the bestseller Combating Cult Mind Control, the number one bestselling guide to protection, rescue, and recovery from destructive cults. Welcome, doctor. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks for having me on. So I start this conversation with talking about R. Kelly, because R. Kelly is a person who has a great connection to Chicago and uh, has been charged uh, in two different courts here in the Chicago area in Minnesota and is now on trial in New York for sex trafficking. And basically the allegations are that there is an enterprise where he called these uh, women into his fold uh, and abused them. Would you say, just having known a little bit about this case, from the news that this is cultish in in character yes so yes the qualifying that i don't have any inside track to information and this is just so just from public sourced information um so there's lots to talk about um what i would start with is um my influence continuum that describes ethical influence to all the way to unethical influence. It's not a binary, but it's a continuum. And along that continuum, the more authoritarian or destructive relationships or cults is um, controlling people's behavior and information, thoughts and emotions to make a dependent, obedient, new personality or identity. So for me, in other words, um, there are lots of groups out there. Some of them are culty, but the healthy ones tell you up front who they are, what they believe, and what will happen to you, allow you to talk to whoever you want to talk to, do whatever you want, to follow your conscience, to ask questions, and to leave without fear or harassment. Um, whereas people like R. Kelly, from everything that I've listened to, a documentary that was done previously and lots of written things, it sounds like he has the stereotypical profile of a cult leader, um, which I describe as malignant narcissism, which is a term Eric Fromm came up with, which is not just narcissism, but also the psychopathological elements, like thinking they're above the law, pathological lying, you know, interpersonally exploitative, sadistic, harassing, Violent, paranoid, inability to trust. So, um, so doctor, regular narcissists are just grandiose. Right. These of power, success, 
need for praise, entitlement, but they lack empathy. So let's let's and, go back to R. Kelly. I want to ask you. You know, here's sure. a guy who's musical. You know, he's got talent. He is self. Uh, he, he's basically illiterate. They say um, probably didn't go to a lot of school. I don't know how bright he is. You're give me bright, I suppose, in different ways. Uh, but does does a person like R. Kelly come to some realization? Hey, I'm going to have a group of women who I harbor in my home and I beat and I uh, and harass them and, have, and make them have sex in my presence and take videotapes and extort them. I mean, or is this something that just happens because of who he is? It's I mean, it's almost as if he plans these things as if like the rest of these other cult leaders that there is a plan in place. Is that how it works with cult? leaders or not? Well, so I've been studying this phenomenon for 45 years since my own deprogramming from the moon cult. And and I'm a mental health professional, licensed mental health professional. The latest understanding or theories of understanding is that there's a serious attachment disorder in all of these folks where they didn't get the attention, the love, the safety from mother or father in the first few years of their life. And so they grow up feeling an emptiness in their sense of self, which they try to compensate by getting external attention and admiration and praise, etc. I'd also add that a lot of sexual abusers, I've noted, were themselves abused as children. I'm not excusing um, anyone of any behavior, but often um, this kind of uh, trajectory is is set early in life, and it's less about somebody in their 20s saying, you know what, I think I want power, money, and sex. I think I'll study cults and hypnosis (laughs) and brainwashing and have all the power and money and sex I can get. So let's 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 go back uh, and you you say and you say this in your book and in your dissertation that you got sucked into a cult uh, early on in your life and then you went and did your college and your PhD and all that. But looking back, how? Tell me how it looks to you that you got involved in the Moonies, and maybe you can describe briefly what the Moonies are for people who don't know who they are, and how you got out of it, and, and how you explain the reasons that someone is obviously intelligent as you are um, got involved in something like that. Sure. So uh, where to start? So I would start by saying that I was uh, a good student, intact family, uh, lived in the same house, two older sisters, um, and I was not a joiner. I was not interested in switch. I grew up in a conservative Jewish home, not interested in joining another religion or following anything else. But what I wound up with in just a few weeks of meeting some women who were flirting with me in Queens College um, um, after my girlfriend had dumped me and I was kind of lonely, um, I wound up bowing to the floor, believing Sun Myung Moon was the Messiah, the greatest man in human history who was going to save the planet. And within a year and a half or so, I was being taught that democracy was satanic and that we needed to take over the American government and take over the world for Moon and his children. And I became like a right-wing kind of fascist 
where I would have died on command or killed on command. And it was only because I fell asleep at the wheel of a van due to sleep exhaustion and had a very serious van crash that I wound up in the hospital away from the the cult. And I reached out to my sister. That led to my family asking me to agree to a deprogramming. And I agreed to it, not because I thought I was brainwashed or I was in a cult, but just to prove to my family that I knew what I was doing. However, in the deprogramming, I learned about Chinese communist brainwashing, and it became obvious to me that the organization that I was in and that I was a leader of was doing exactly the same principles <laughs> that Chinese communists. And uh, I realized Moon was a liar, and how could I trust someone who, who is a liar and claimed to be a, a representative of God, who the Moonies taught was a God of truth? So we, that was that contradiction that woke me up. Yeah, let's, and you know we have like one minute. Part of your question. Okay, sorry, go, ahead. Go, go ahead. We've got like just a minute. I, I wanted so to. I was just gonna yeah, say, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say everybody that I know who gets into a destructive cult was deceptively recruited, uh, and the two big vulnerabilities are people wanting to improve themselves or make the world a better place in some way, shape, or form. So it's very positive motivation that get people involved. I mean, some people like me want a girlfriend. (laughs) That's what what caught me. But a lot of the public think of cult members as weak, stupid, uneducated, and that's just not the case. And it was funny because I was talking to some of my friends about having you on, and that's what a lot of people said, that, you know, it's just for the weak-minded, just for the people who don't have any family, they don't have any ambition, they're lost. And and the more that I look at this stuff and the more that I, I listen to people like you, it could happen really to almost anybody. Is that is that fair to say? Well, yes, except that with a very little amount of inoculation, which means, you know, psychoeducation about how these groups or individuals operate, like, for example, educating everyone about malignant narcissists and how they behave and questions you could ask or look at their behavior. That's going to save a lot of people from getting sucked into destructive relationships. Let's, or let, cults. let's take a break right here. I'm so sorry, but we got to get off right now. But we're going to come back more talking about cults with Dr. Stephen Hassan more in just a minute. Who wants to live in paradise? Revelation 2.10, be thou faithful unto death, and I shall give thee a crown of life. You ready to die for Christ? I think so. Are you ready to kill for him? Another weak Christian! All of you weak! Weak! And it is killing me! To know the price you will pay if you do not follow me! Philippians 1, I am appointed for the defense of the gospel! Will you follow me? Yes! Will you follow me? Yes! That was an actor portraying David Koresh of the Branch Davidians, the apocalyptic, I can never say that word, religious sect, where 96 people died in 1993. That was the Waco siege. Uh, we're here with Dr. Stephen Hassan, Hassan, I say that wrong, uh, who is the author of Combating Cult Mind Control, the number one best-selling guide to protection, rescue, and recovery from destructive cults. Um, doctor, let me talk a little bit about... Um, 
uh, people who get involved in these cults. If if they're let's let's just say I know that you're you're sending a, a, one of your children to college uh, today, and I know a lot of parents are sending their kids back now. What is it that you can tell your children to 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 be to make them aware that these things are out there and that they they really shouldn't get involved with them? Is there something you can say to your kids to stop this kind of thing from happening? Oh my God! Did you hit a hot button here? No, actually, most eighteen-year-olds going off to college don't want to hear from their parents about cults or anything else. And uh, having a father who's a cult expert his whole life <laughs> right. really doesn't want to hear about it. That said, you know the key is to say something simple, like if it sounds too good to be true. It probably is, and you want to check it out with trusted friends, and always feel free to come and ask my opinion or his mom's opinion or his aunts or uncles, etc. Um, the other thing, you know, to say is if something is true, it will stand up to scrutiny. So ask a lot of very pointed questions if somebody's inviting you somewhere that, you know, is new investigate it don't rely on the recruiter and um but the the bottom line is that i would tell all young people going off to college is if anyone tries to split you from your family by saying don't tell your parents that you're coming with us or one in coming to this program that should be the red flag that makes you run out the door because if it's legitimate they're not going to want to split you from your family there's so much to talk about. And, you know, one of the things that you see is that a parent might have a, a young adult um, child in a cult. Uh, and you see this in kind of the Scientology people. And it's almost impossible to extricate them from it. And the law doesn't really help parents in that situation or loved ones. And in your dissertation, you make a point that you say, you know, we have laws that forbid businesses uh, and people from engaging in fraud to induce them to buy things, uh, to defraud them in, in you know out of money and things like that and we also have the concept of undue influence in the wills and estate planning so if someone takes an older person and and, and forces them to or, or it unduly influences them to leave their estate to someone in particular the law has provisions that that are pretty strong that that um, that punish people for that so why is it that the laws and how is it that the laws do not allow people to go in and get these adults out and to deprogram them. This is why I went to do my doctoral program in my 60s, because I realized after so many years of activism, nothing was changing in a structural way. And I realized the law was about 100 years out of date with what we know about the human mind. And my hope in doing my, my doctoral research was to provide a framework that judges and juries could use to apply to any relationship or group, the Shefflin social influence model, as well as use existing trafficking laws, fraud, force, and coercion. And my bite model of authoritarian control actually fleshes out coercion by talking about behavior control uh, variables, information, thought, and emotional control. Variables. Okay, so wait, let's 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 but get this. Yeah, it's a little bit. That's a little bit above. Parents. Okay. I th- yeah, I just want to make it simple for people. There are powerful groups lobbying politicians that don't want 
any such law to come into effect because they are doing a lot of money and a lot of abuse on a lot of people. Right. And so so the question is, so I guess what I, if you were an advocate and if you were lobbying Congress or some legislature to change the laws, would you make it easier then to come in and try to deprogram people? And how do you determine if someone's exercising their free will or that they've been actually brainwashed? Right. So, I mean, the, the power of um, for example, a judge granting, for example, an ex parte conservatorship, which is a conservatorship where, and this was done in the 70s when I first was deprogrammed, judges were granting a one-week conservatorship to parents to allow their children in controversial cults to meet with former members, learn about brainwashing and mind control, and then come back to the judge themselves, the person who had been in the controversial group, to discuss what they learned and what they think and whether they want to return to the group or they want to exit. So we want to protect civil liberties. We want to protect religious freedom. But we also want to uh, offer a legal way that loved ones can take care of adults who've been taken under the spell of a controller like, uh, you know, David Koresh, Herf Applewhite, uh, even Art Kelly. And if let's talk a little bit about how social media and the Internet have affected the issue of cults. First of all, do you have an idea? Is there some working number of how many cults are out there, or is it just impossible to actually know that? Yeah, it's so, for example, the cult that I was in, had so many friend groups. I had a private investigator make a list, and there was 71 pages single-spaced of different names of entities, but they were all the Moonies. Um, For me, it's one group, but there are all these subgroups of just that one thing. Um, What I've I've seen used is 5,000. Uh, and we're talking uh, religious cults, political cults, therapy cults, multi-level marketing cults, uh, traffickers and pimp cults, um, large group awareness training cults. And again, the difference between a legitimate enterprise and an authoritarian cult is this abuse of fundamental human rights where people are being made to be dependent and obedient and to short-circuit their ability to critically think and make independent judgments. I was interested in this Nexum thing, which actually I didn't follow until just recently, and um, the leader of that particular cult just got 120 years in prison. A couple of actresses were involved in it. Um, it had been going on for tw- 20 years or so, and, and I was just fascinated by some of these women who were obviously intelligent, attractive women who were allowing themselves to be branded with the leader's initials. Um I mean, it's all, it just, it boggles your mind. But can you just, again, put, can you put yourself into a cult member's mind and, and tell us what are you thinking when you are allowing these things to happen to you that no human being should ever have to be subjected to? Right. So, I mean, first I'll say I know a lot about Nexium and Keith Raniere. Keith Raniere was, um, by 20 attorneys general for operating a multi-level marketing pyramid scheme and was forbidden 
from doing a pyramid scheme again, and he basically recruited uh, Salzman, Nancy Salzman, to be the front person, and he started a coaching multi-level marketing group. And what made that group uh, so powerful was they were using something called NLP, or Neuro Linguistic Programming, which is a form of process-oriented hypnosis on people. So I've interviewed people who would have meetings for three hours with Keith Raniere and would not remember anything that happened. Wow. This is called amnesia in the world of hypnosis. Um, and uh, I actually wrote a, a blog about a divorce attorney who's now in jail because he was covertly hypnotizing his female clients and, and raping them and then giving them amnesia to what he did to them. Um, so what's this? Oh, I, I wanted to say Nexium also recruited two billionaire women, the Bromfmans, and they were funding a lot of the activities of this cult. Uh, as well. You know what, let's take a so quick... What makes people, yeah, I, you know, allow themselves to be branded? Okay. They didn't know it was going to happen. <laughs> they yeah. were already indoctrinated in the group, and they used women to recruit other women into the secret of what is called DAS, where they were stripped naked and held down, and a cauterizing iron was used to carve the initials of Keith Raniere and Allison Mack right near their genitals. Mm. Just unbelievable. We're going to have to take a break. We've got some questions coming in for Dr. Hassan, who's here talking about cults. He is the author of the book, Combating Cult Mind Control, the number one best-selling guide to protection, rescue, and recovery from the destructive cults. Back in a minute. Nexium was a program to make people's lives better. I found real deep sense of community. I felt like I was in the right place. So how did we all end up in the clutches of a monster? I had to ask permission to eat. There's control of sleep. Demeaning sexual acts. It kept getting more extreme. All over the globe. We don't know how many victims there could be. The cruelty, it's beyond the pale. I didn't want to be saved. We're listening to, uh, uh, there was an excerpt from a docuseries on the issue of the Nexium cult, and we're here with Dr. Stephen Hassan, uh, who is a very well-written, well-read, and well-educated person on the issue of cults in our society. Uh, thank you for staying tuned to us. Let's, um, let's go to Mark. Mark has a question about hypnosis. Hi, hi, Mark. Uh-oh. I think I just dropped, uh, Dr. Hassan off. Uh, but let's, uh, let's talk to Mark. Mark, what is your question? And we're going to get the doctor back on. Yeah, I think that people who get infatuated with someone, people who fall for a scam, and people who follow a cult leader all have one thing in common. Their reality testing is suspended or disabled somehow. And I think one of the things that has kept me safe in life is that I have always insisted on my right to question, and I respect others' right to question me, too, because if they agree with me, I want them to do it because of their independence of thought, not because I have lulled them into it. So my question for the doctor is, do cult leaders consciously choose to hypnotize people, or do some of them have just such a charisma that their force of personality hypnotizes people and they gladly accept the results of that because they're narcissistic. Ah, good question. Did you hear that, doctor? Yes, I did. So it's a very good question. I want to say that when I first got out of the Moonies, I did a deep dive on all the literature on brainwashing and 
thought reform and persuasion, and there was a missing element. And four years after I got out, I attended my first workshop on NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, this hypnosis. And I was listening to the co-founder present, and I said, that's what I used to do as a lecturer. And I realized I had been behaviorally trained to do this without understanding what it was called or to have any, you know, connection and understanding of the methodology of hypnosis. Um, I learned a few years after I got out of the cult that, that Hubbard, the head of Scientology, the founder, science fiction writer, was a hypnotist. And that all of their training routines was based on using hypnotic methods. But the members are told they're going to be dehypnotized by becoming Scientologists. But in the meantime, they're staring into each other's eyes, sometimes for three hours at a time, which induces a trance state. That said, some people, uh, pimps, pickup artists, Etc. You know, and some there are books on how to be a pimp and how to brainwash people. Um, take courses on hypnosis and how to deliberately exploit people for their for money, power, and sex. So it really depends case by case on a particular person. Interesting. Thank thank you for the call, Mark. Thank you so much. Thank you for the intelligent question. How let's talk a little bit about social media. Um you know, the there's the QAnon and these kinds of um uh, organizations that, you know, again, there's some goofy beliefs, right, about things that there really have no basis in fact. Um mm-hmm. how how is it harder to do this kind of indoctrination on the internet, in social media, versus being in person with someone who has oh, charisma. It's much easier on, on online, especially if there's a pandemic and you have to be socially isolated and you spend hours and hours online and you have uh, algorithms recommending new friends to have or other videos on YouTube or other groups on Facebook. And uh, I'm a big fan of Tristan Harris and the Center for Humane Technology. And he explicitly talks about, uh, and he did this uh, wonderful documentary called The Social Dilemma, uh, interviewing former executives of major social media platforms that talk about how addictive they deliberately made the platforms to capture people's attention. And so... What has happened now in the 21st century is people are being deceptively recruited online much more than in person and radicalized. I was actually part of a countering ISIS program in 2015 because they were recruiting online uh, and and the State Department and, and uh, you know Homeland Security didn't know what to do to prevent the numbers. So they got a group of people together to discuss uh, what to do about it. So the key is, like, we should not let technology control us. We should be in charge. And if you are so addicted to your cell phone that you can't go a day or two without the urge and the need to check your social media platform, you have an addiction problem. 
Well, what? How does a person know if they're brainwashed? And you know, you talked about how you, when you were in the Moonies, you were taken out, and you said, "Yeah, I'll go through this G program because I'm not even brainwashed. So why why would I even be afraid of doing this? How does a person know that they're being brainwashed into things that are not healthy for them? You asked the most important single question of all time, and I use it. I talk about this in every one of my, one of my lectures. So it's basically a process that a person needs to, to do themselves to reality test. I'm going to speak what the, what the tech, you know, what the steps are quickly, but um, there's a lot of homework you need to do in order to do this properly. Step one is get away from the source of the influence that you're questioning. So if it's a group, stop, you know, reading going to meetings, doing the practice, if it's a religious group, chanting, praying, speaking in tongues, whatever, just take a time out. And I recommend a minimum of three days to seven days. Walk in the woods, listen to music that you love before you ever met the group, and just really um, detach. Number two, learn models of mind control. Uh, I recommend reading Robert J. Lifton's eight criteria that he developed studying Chinese communist brainwashing survivors. Margaret Singer has a six condition model. And then I have my bite model of authoritarian control. Learn the models. Third, seek out critics and former members and listen openly to why they're critics or why they left. Because one of the features of a authoritarian cult is they always diss the ex-members or critics. They, they blame the media, they blame, you know, the capitalists or the communists or whatever. But really step back and say, look, if what I'm in uh, is legitimate, it will stand up to scrutiny. Let me hear the best evidence of what's wrong with it. The, la- the, the last thing you need to do is reflect back to before you met the group in light of the models of mind control, in light of what you learn from the critics and former members, and ask yourself, was I lied to when I was first approached? Did I ask questions that never get answered? Was I, you know, separated from family and friends? Was I made to feel guilty because I wanted to sleep a little extra or something? Because then ultimately you can answer for yourself whether or not the mind control models fit your own experience let's uh we're going to have to go now but please come back to my show i want to thank dr stephen hessen uh he is the author of several books uh one of them is the cult of trump uh combating cult mind control and freedom of mind helping loved ones leave controlling people cults and beliefs thank you so much for uh joining us it was very very interesting